This episode of BevNet's Taste Radio is powered by Cognizin. Find your focus. Cognizin, an industry-leading nootropic for work, exercise, gaming, or every day. Cognizin is the gold standard for focus, mental energy, and comprehensive brain health in your functional beverage. Give your customers the best ingredient for brain health with Cognizin. Learn more at Cognizin.com. Hello, friends. I'm Ray Latif, and you're listening to the number one podcast for the food and beverage industry, Taste Radio. This episode features an interview with Hector Saldivar, the founder and CEO of Tia Lupita, a fast-growing brand that is attempting to reframe Americans' perspective on Mexican cuisine via better-for-you versions of traditional foods. Just a reminder to our listeners, if you like what you hear on Taste Radio, please share the podcast with friends and colleagues, and of course, we would love it if you could review us on the Apple Podcasts app or your listening platform of choice. Years ago, Taco Bell implored people to, quote, make a run for the border. It's a slogan that probably irked Hector Saldivar, Mexican-born entrepreneur who views fast food tacos and burritos as degrading to traditional Mexican dishes. To counter the narrative of Mexican food as being cheap, greasy, and lacking in nutritional value, Saldivar launched Tia Lupita, a brand rooted in the flavors of his mother's kitchen and better-for-you sustainable ingredients. Tia Lupita markets a flagship line of clean-label hot sauces, along with grain-free and low-carb tortillas and tortilla chips that are made with a base of cactus flour. The brand, whose logo features a caricature of Hector's bespectacled mother with a pink curling roller in her hair, is carried at retailers including Whole Foods, Central Market, and recently landed chain-wide distribution of its hot sauces at HEB. In the following interview, I spoke with Hector about how Tia Lupita is at once a modern and authentic Mexican food brand, educating around one of its key ingredients, the retail strategy for three distinct product lines, and what he's learned as an immigrant entrepreneur. Hey folks, it's Ray with Taste Radio. Right now, I am on a call with Hector Saldivar, who's the founder and CEO of Tia Lupita. Hector, how are you? Hi, Ray. I'm great. And uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm a huge fan. Well, I'm a huge fan of your brand. So uh, mutual uh, admiration here. I really, I really appreciate your time. I know you're very, very busy. Tia Lupita just announced a very big retail win. Can you talk about that retailer that you guys got into? Yes, absolutely. We just uh, uh, started rolling out at HEB which is, you know, uh, Texas' uh, largest uh, retail chain. And surprisingly, you know, I think it's like the seventh or eighth largest uh, uh, retail chain in the United States. And what's surprising about that, it's not the, the number seven or eight position, is that they are only like in a selective part of Texas, right? They're only, they're not even in Dallas. They're only in Houston, uh, Austin, San Antonio, and, and the border, right? And so... You know, just dominating that territory to be that large and that impactful, it's pretty neat. But, uh, you know, most importantly for me, the win or being present in that chain is that the proximity it has to my family. Me, I'm from Monterey, Mexico, which is maybe 100 miles from the Texas border. 
And actually, my mom was born and raised in a border town in uh, Reynosa, which borders McAllen, Texas. And so our, you know, when every time we went to visit family, we had to cross the border and, and visit HEB. That that was like a like a thing we had to do. And then we would go to HEB, experience it, and bring all the you know American goodies back home to Mexico, right? And and that'll last us until next trip. So now I am there. I, I'm, my family members can go and shop the products that I started uh, under my mom's name or, or, or honoring my mom, right? So that's that's pretty neat. They can finally validate that I did start this. <laughs> it's not just like, oh, here's my brand. They actually see your brand. Exactly. No, guys, for real. I, I started a food company. <laughs> yes. No, no. Oh, oh yeah. Where, where can I get it? Whole Foods in Sacramento. Where is that? You know, or you know <laughs> so now they can they can go they can go to McAllen or Laredo or Brownsville stores and, and, and find us. Very cool. Well congratulations on that. Hector, you mentioned you're from Mexico. And when I was reviewing your LinkedIn profile, your bio is great. And the first words in your bio are, I am an immigrant. Now it continues from there. But I wonder why you chose to lead with that, you know, at a time when immigration is such a divisive issue in this country. And even just the word, just stating the word immigrant or immigration can stoke a lot of emotion, passion, and frankly, unfortunately, you know, the kind of division that has been existing in our country or that has existed in our country for way too long. This is very funny, right? You know, when I moved here 16 years ago, I didn't know I was an immigrant. I am the definition of an immigrant. I came here looking for better job conditions. I came here looking for a better lifestyle and living conditions. But I didn't know that until, like you mentioned recently, immigrant became a bad word, a four-letter word, if you wish. And um, I was upset about it. And I started Telupita right in the middle of that mix, uh, a time of divisive rhetoric, building walls and, and profiling. And I like to say that, you know, in, in that time of building walls, my mom was building a bridge at the same time, right? Con trying to connect to me from Mexico to the United States by sending me her care packages of hot sauces. And that's what we're trying to do with Tilupita. It's build a bridge to better for you Mexican food products. But starting with that word, immigrant, it's also, also letting know other people under the same, that fall under the same realm that you shouldn't be ashamed of that. We all need to stick together. I, I love to talk, and I'm sure I'm going to mention the word allies through the podcast a lot. We, we need more allies in this space. There is a, there is a significant underrepresentation of Hispanic founders and, and immigrant founders here in the United States. And so just by starting that, like that, I, I'm putting my two cents and saying, hey, I'm one of you guys. Reach out to me. Whatever I can do to help, we'll stick together. Food is love. And when you're eating good food in a table, it doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your, your political points of view or religious points of view. You are eating food and you're having an enjoyable time among friends. That's the important piece. That's the important takeaway. 
Absolutely. And what you just described reminds me of a podcast interview I did with a man named Christopher Kimball, who's known from the show America's Test Kitchen and now his own platform called Milk Street. And it struck me, one of his quotes was, you can almost experience the culture through the food. There's a context around a recipe and you learn a lot about the people and nobody can stop that from coming across the border. The culture, the cuisine, what you are trying to share with American consumers is something remarkable and something, I'm going to use the word authentic in recent interviews I've done. Authentic is one of those words that some people are, are less inclined to use when, when talking about ethnic food. But yours is really, it has a special place in your heart because it did come from your family and those care packages that your mom sent. Was that the inspiration behind Tia Lupita? I mean, could you talk about that background and, and how you started the company and, and why you felt this, this passion to share your culture with others? Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you mentioned, it, it started with with care packages, uh, specifically hot sauce. You know, a regular mom's care package to their kids would be uh, maybe a sweater, socks. <laughs> I would get hot sauce, which was totally fine. I missed that hot sauce so much. I, I couldn't find a hot sauce in the marketplace that tasted or had the same ingredients as my mom. And again, stepping back. This is a family recipe that had been passed down to a single family member of each generation. I like to explain it this way. In Mexico, we don't inherit cars, jewelry, or money, right? You know, what gets passed down to us are our family recipes. Those are our family heirlooms. That's how our our family legacy lives on. Uh, You will always hear a Mexican say, ooh, I'm going to make my grandmother's mole tonight. Or, uh, you know, there's a party and like, and somebody needs to bring, I'm going to make my aunt's enchiladas. So in my case, it was hot sauce. And I would share that hot sauce. As soon as I get it, uh, I would share it with friends and colleagues. Yes, was that guy who brings the hot sauce to the workplace. And uh, as I started sharing that, people started falling in love with my mom's hot sauce. They realized that there was something different and special. Uh, And so every time I went back home, I would get, you know, requests, tell your mom to make me a bottle, I'll pay for it, whatever. And, you know, for many years, that was the case until uh, I was, guys, I I can't do this anymore. I'm leaving clothes behind. The the custom agents are getting suspicious, you know? know? And so that's when they truly uh, inner uh, circle or network started pushing like, well, dude, you you cannot leave us hanging, right? You you have to sell it, you have to make it. And and so it was recurring, it it, it didn't happen right away. It, It was 10 years of brewing, of fermenting in the making, right? Until the opportunity presented itself and yeah, in 2018, we, we sold our first bottle. And from there, you know, things started to evolve really quickly into others. It was self-fulfilling a little bit, if you wish. You know, it's, 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 it's that. Also, making sure that this tradition, this heritage, this inheritance of mine kept living forever, right? Again, this is a recipe that had been passed down to a single family member of each generation, so it came, came down to me. I have two other sisters, and they had no interest, thankfully, of, uh, of learning how to do this hot sauce and, and to be the, the gatekeepers of the recipe. So I did ask for my mom's blessing, actually, because she kind of knew that 
this recipe, this inheritance was going to end up with me and, and it was going to, now everybody would enjoy this. You'd say that the opportunity presented itself. How did you sense that the opportunity was right? And what did you see in that timing? So I worked, I worked in, in food and beverage in CPG. You know, that's how I uh, did my career. I worked for Nestle. I worked for Diamond Foods. The, this last company got acquired by Snyder Lance and moved operations, was moving operations from San Francisco to Charlotte in North Carolina. So that was the that was the the, the fork in the road. That was uh, the do I go to Charlotte and with my family and continue my career there, or do we stay here or look for another job in CPG? And you know. It was actually my wife's idea. I said, hey, why don't you take this opportunity and start this? Why don't you apply all your learnings of being in this in this realm of work and see if you can if you can start this and, and maybe you know we'll, we'll have something cool and something local here and then that you can make a living of uh, of we'll give it a year, famous last words, right? It's like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a year and see how it goes, right? And, you know, we're almost uh, closing year four now. Hey folks, stay tuned till the end of this episode for a bonus interview with industry veteran David Sandler, who shares an insider's perspective on one of the most in-demand functional ingredients of 2024. One of the things that struck me about Tilapita and, and something you've talked about a lot is this notion of removing stereotypes about Mexican food, yet at the same time, modernizing Mexican food. And I think there could be a disconnect between those two things. I think it can be hard to try to do both at the same time. How are you attempting to achieve both with Tilapita? Right, no, absolutely. Not only uh, do I want to update Mexican food, but also the Mexican image. The image of the guy, the Mexican guy, the, the bandido with the mustache, or guys leaning on a, on a cactus with a big sombrero, or, you know, the lady with a big uh, dress and the flowers in her hair and all, and all that stuff. I, Mexican people are much more than that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool traits there, but when I go to Mexico, when I go to Monterey, I don't see that. You know, and, and, and so I kind of want to modernize that. I, that's why I remember a while back uh, in a pitch asking the investors, you know, you want to see a real Mexican woman? And I showed them a picture of my mom. And, I, you know, this this is a Mexican woman. This is, this is, this is what I see when – this is a Mexican woman that I, that I see that I, when I go to Mexico, right? And so it's time for that. And also, you know, as we try to modernize Mexican food, it's a word that we can use, but it's, I think it's – Update also would be a, a better word. You were talking about authenticity, right? Or are we authentic? Because uh, someone uh, told me, well, are you really authentic if you use okara? You know, where we use a, a upcycled flour, right? Which is okara. And and I'm like, yeah, it's probably not a, a, an ingredient that the Aztecs used when they were making uh, tortillas back in the day. But it's something that we have available now. And it's something that based on current conditions of the world, we should start using. We we need to start using, right? And so 
that's the idea behind Tia Lupita is that it is is we're we're being authentic with the food that we we bring uh, either because they're family recipes they come from a, from a, an original place uh, but also we're updating and innovating uh, with ingredients that we have on hand cactus nopales is a it's an innovative ingredient here in the United States but not necessarily in Mexico in Mexico you know it's been used since the dawn of the civilization. It's even in the Mexican flag, but it's how the, the god Quetzalcoatl told the, the, the Aztec tribe, you will, you will found the city where you find an eagle devouring a snake on top of a cactus. But knowing that for, for us Mexican, nopales or cactus is so part of our everyday lives, but it isn't here, that's another opportunity for sure. Yeah, cactus is a very big part of what you guys do. And I think Telling that story about how cactus has played and continues to play a role in the history and heritage of Mexico is one that I haven't necessarily heard before. And I'm so glad that you shared it with me. And I think that speaks to, you know, your ability to share the story of Tia Lupita so brilliantly and eloquently. But when you are telling that story, if it's you in front of the customer, that's one thing. If it's just someone picking up a bottle of Tia Lupita hot sauce at an AGB, how do you share that story in a way that's going to inspire them not only to buy the brand, but to want to learn more about it? I think we have a very fun and approachable uh, branding uh, and, and packaging. Interesting enough, you know, remember, we, we started with hot sauce, right? And so I knew that the hot sauce set was very busy, very, very, it's very competitive, right? But I, when, when doing my, my research, I noticed that all were using the same bottles, for example, the five ounce woozies, the skinny hot sauce, but you, you, you know, which one. you, you, mm-hmm. you close yeah. your eyes, you think, you, you think hot sauce, you, you'll picture that bottle. And the other thing I noticed was that most of the hot sauces were very polarizing, were very, macho driven they were communicating a lot of pain uh suffering devils skulls and bones donkeys uh, farting flames all that stuff so i i knew that i had to capture the shopper in four seconds or less as they were shopping that set and so i went the opposite way i, I decided to use a short stub five uh, boston round uh, eight ounce boston round bottle and communicate approachability with my mom's face, hand-drawn, using her curler, the same way that you would find my mom in the kitchen. The same picture that's on your T-shirt right now. That's the same, the same picture that's on my picture. Exactly. I, I thought, worst-case scenario, somebody would see that, and even if they don't grab it, it'll put a smile in someone's face. That that has become our, our symbol of, of approachability, and people can connect. And it doesn't say, oh, this is this lady is Mexican. It, you, you don't know where this lady is from. And, and by the way, I've gotten a lot of uh, notes and feedback of people saying, my grandmother uses a curler the same way. Or my mom, my aunt, I, that's, that's how they would wear that curler. They, they couldn't immediately relate. Yeah, it's great to see the Mexican food community, the Latinx food community coming together and so many... Uh, folks interested in supporting early stage entrepreneurs and getting the word out about their brands and the Mexican and Mexican food and Latinx food. As that competition grows, however, you are seeing some overlaps in terms of what people are selling. And essentially, this growing cohort 
while it is sort of a rising tide lifting all boats, you are essentially competitors. Competitors. How do you compete and yet at the same time try to support those that are doing the education, that are helping get the word out about modern Mexican food and ones that are trying to stay true to that cultural experience that you grew up with? That is a question that has been uh, thrown my way by uh, a, a couple of investors, actually. You know, it's like, how are you managing all the, the all now this this hype that there is with uh, Mexican food or or better for you or all this innovation that is happening around that? I, I honestly welcome it. Somebody to help lift while we rise. It's a word that... Uh, or a phrase that I recently heard that I I, I loved, you know, helped lift as we rise. And I think you mentioned it, you know, as, as, uh, as well. The more people coming to the category is, that's the way I see it. it we're, we're helping each other, bringing more people, more eyeballs to the category. And from there, it's up to them to choose what they want, or who, who they like, what is their taste buds preference. Maybe for us, Maybe, you know, it's it's the spiciness, it's the bold, flavorful heat. Uh, for the other, it may be something else, right? Uh, maybe a sweeter products in their line or in their offering. Maybe it could be nutritionals, right? Uh, we offer different nutritionals than other brands that are maybe not focused that much in calories or carbs. And so those are the, the different, different ways to differentiate us. But... Uh, it's really cool to see. It's really, it's, it, I, I saw, I just saw recently that um, ethnic inspired uh, foods are growing double than not ethnic or, or not, not international in the, in the retail, in the food space. Um, last year, and to that point, just peeling the onion a little bit more, last year during the pandemic, Mexican food became the number one consumed food overtaking Italian food. So hmm. there's more people right now eating tacos than pizza and pasta in the United States. Not only in restaurants and for takeout, but also at home, which means they're cooking, right? And so it means that the occasion has evolved from Taco Tuesday to everyday's Taco Tuesday. I mean, that's helpful for you as a brand, I'm sure, in that People are looking to eat more Mexican food and they're looking for brands to help uh, highlight or improve upon their at-home eating experience. But that being said, you touched on this earlier, the nutritional benefits of your products versus those of competing ones is a key point of differentiation. But to consumers that are buying Mexican products or Mexican-inspired products, are they looking at those bottles, are they looking at the labels as much as they are, you know, interested in taste? Taste is king. That's always going to be the case. Taste is king. You, you know, you can have the best branding in the world, the best spoke celebrity spokesperson, but if the product tastes like cardboard, you will not get the repeat order. And the repeat orders is the life lifeline of a product, of any product. But there is this trend for better for you and healthy as well. So I am that perfect example. I'm a, I am a Mexican that has acculturated and in, into what the U.S. Uh, consumer dynamics are here in the States. And it's paying attention to ingredient lists, paying attention to, to the, the nutritional panel, seeing if it's sustainable or if there's mission-driven, all that stuff. 
16 years ago, buying that stuff in Mexico, I didn't care of that. But I've, I've acculturated. There is there is this movement here in the United States, and it's and it's trickling down everywhere. So when I moved here 16 years ago, the company that brought me here I, I was selling nostalgic products from the motherland to Mexican immigrants. I've come full circle. Now I'm offering Tia Lupita to the kids of these immigrants. And not only that, we're allowing ourselves to cross over because, again, the American palate is evolving and accepting this, this uh, ethnic uh, food. But absolutely, taste above everything. And then it's the nutritional values, the nutritional values and attributes of the product. I can think of one person for whom taste is more important than any other consumer, and that's your mom. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You, you nailed it. And by the way, until just recently, my mom approached me and said, I think your hot sauce tastes better than mine. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, yes. It's like the grasshopper has taken the master, you know, <laughs> finally. It was like, it was, there, there's always going to, especially in, in a Mexican household, it's like, nobody beats my cooking. I only have the secret touch, this and that. And so same thing with my mom. But yeah, until recently, my mom was like, yeah. I think your hot sauce tastes better than mine now. I'm like, yes. That's a bold statement for your mom to make. And she must have, it must have taken a lot for her to say that, or it must have taken <laughs> that hot sauce to be pretty extraordinary for yours to be hers. It'll never taste like what she does at, at home. It will never taste. But I am very happy with what we've produced. Only a certain few will notice that this was, you know, this doesn't taste like the kitchen version of my mom's hot sauce. Well, and it says something because, you know, you're mass producing your recipe, you're mass producing this product. And if she's making one pot of hot sauce in her kitchen, you know, typically that's always going to be better than, you know, mass produced product. But if you can actually say, my mom, and that's a great selling point. You should put that on Instagram or something like that. This is, <laughs> mom says this is I have, to, better than I have to tape her. I'm going to have to tape her. Like she, 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 she gets really nervous when, when I put a camera on her, but I, I'll have to secretly tape her saying that maybe, maybe over the holidays. Well, I was, I'm think, trying to think of other cultural comparisons. It almost be like, you know, if, uh, if someone was Italian and their mom made uh, tomato sauce and, you know. Or meatballs or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, it, it, something is like, would be my case, uh, you know, my mom makes uh, hummus. And if I made hummus, that was better. If I made had a brand of hummus, that was better than hers. Although I, I don't think I would ever say that. I'd, I'd, I'd have a hard time saying that, or at least promoting that. Because, uh, you know, everything that your mom makes is gold. Everything that your mom absolutely, makes. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. No, for, for me, I mean, I, I, I totally get it. But I, I'm like, I know it rolls out easy. Oh, hot sauce. Oh, that's, uh, I, honestly, my mom didn't have the recipe written down. She measured everything with a wooden spoon. And so, you know, I, I, I flew her in to San Francisco and I had to learn. It was a full week of me imitating her, how to make the hot sauce and how to peel the, the stems of the, of the peppers and how, what to live and whatnot. And, and so it took a while. It took a while. Me first learning how to do this. And then, like you said, is it scalable? Can I mass produce this? And so uh, for, for, for me getting that validation, it's the best. If you work in the food and beverage industry and you're serious about growing your team, make sure to check out the Bevna and Nosh job boards. To get the most bang for your buck, purchase a package and receive a discount. 
Head to bevnet.com or notch.com and click on job board at the top. Did your mom teach you how to make tortillas and tortilla chips as well? Or is that something that you had to learn? So my mom uh, makes tortillas back home, for sure. This is, this is something that uh, we do in most Mexican households. The key here being the cactus in the pot. So my mom made fresh uh, tortillas, not necessarily using cactus. The cactus thing came to me as, uh, um, you know, in, in, in Mexico, we've developed this technique in order to reduce calories and carbs. And so we have a, a corn ca- and cactus, you know, so it's, we, we use uh, the nixtamal fresh corn uh, meal, if you want to call it that way, and we mix it with cactus. And so that's that's actually what you can find in Mexico. That's what I would bring from Mexico for my own personal consumption, because I love tacos, but I'm always on a diet. And so <laughs> tacos and diet should never be in the same sentence, right? So as long as they're not diet tacos, don't ever call them <laughs> diet tacos. That's, that doesn't sound good. I think I've cracked the code of having tacos and being on a diet. <laughs> so that way I didn't feel that guilty eating tacos when I knew that my tortilla was only 30 calories and, and only four grams of carbs, right? As a quick comparison, a regular tortilla has around 90 calories uh, and, uh, you know, 17 to 24 grams of carbs. So anyways, that product existed in Mexico, but not in the United States. How do I know that? Because I had to lug those tortillas for me to eat them here because I couldn't find them in the marketplace. And so that was my my white space. That was like, why isn't anybody doing it? And and, and am I the only one that loves tacos, but is always on a diet? And so I, I said... That's how I will expand Telupita and pivot into just not only a hot sauce brand, but a platform brand and trying to uh, innovate in other categories and other lines. And knowing, you know, that we're bringing innovation to the tortilla category with cactus, well, I said, can we do this also grain-free, knowing that there was this explosion of, of grain-free tortillas? And that one we developed here in, in the United States, and that's where we used alternative flowers like okara and cassava. And so I'm really proud of that one because using upcycled flowers is super neat. You know, it's it's one of those things that uh, you never think about, but, you know, we're impacting a little bit the, the supply chain. You know, we're, we're, we're helping reduce our food supply chain by 40% by using uh, upcycled flowers, right? And then add the sustainability of cactus. We like to say that we're, we're we're helping save the planet one taco at a time. You know, it's it's, a, it's a, the, the most sustainable uh, tortilla there. So yeah, so that that was made here in the United States with with flowers that we have available here in the marketplace, and great partnerships. For example, with with Renewal Mill, who is providing us our upcycled flour, and then we you know we we continue to innovate under those same guidelines. We're we're working right now with uh, regrained. Uh, they use uh, upcycled barley and wheat leftover from beer, the beer companies, right? And so we want to try to offer one like truly, truly like an upcycled tortilla, right? So we're, we're innovating that front. And tortilla chips, I'll be 100% honest. It was, I like to say, it's a happy accident. As I was validating if the tortilla, the cactus tortillas had a, a place in the marketplace, I was doing some consumer discovery shows and someone approached me and said, this tortilla is delicious. And are you thinking of making tortilla chips? And I was like, what? You know, if you have tortillas, you can make tortilla chips. You just 
cut them in triangles. And I'm like, oh, yeah, there you go. That's, duh, that makes perfect sense. And so that that literally, that's how the tortilla chip line started. So it was it was somebody noticing that. I, I can't wait to taste the tortilla chip version of this tortilla. They're all great products. And they're all products that we've had in our office here and that you've gotten a lot of praise on across the food and beverage industry. People just, when they, they hear the name T. Lupita, they are very praiseworthy of not just the brand, but all your products. And, you know, this happened in a recent episode of Taste Radio where I was speaking with the chief growth officer of Erewhon, who mentioned two brands that he always has in his shopping cart, one of them being Tia Lupita. Now, for a place like Erewhon, I can imagine that, you know, you're selling all three lines or at least two out of the three lines. But, you know, as you're growing the brand, your workhorse is the hot sauce. But I'm sure that you want to sell, you know, the tortilla chips and the tortillas in all the retail locations that you're authorized in. Yeah. These are different buyers, you know, maybe for different aisles. How do you prioritize or how do you, I guess, give equal attention to all three lines? No, absolutely. So right now we're channel focused. We're developing and maturing ourselves in the specialty natural channel, right? Uh, but with our hot sauces, we've allowed ourselves now to, to cross over to the conventional channel, right? You know, hot sauces are very straightforward. You know what you're going to use it for, right? Uh, a lot of people might not be uh, looking at attributes. They're just looking at the taste profile, right? And so with that line, we've allowed ourselves to anywhere that has a cash register, we should be, uh, you know, selling a, a Telupita hot sauce, especially, and also knowing that in that set, in the hot sauce set within the condiments category, premium and super premium hot sauces are what are outpacing the growth of that set. We're growing at a 300, 400% rate. And what buyers love, not aside from the growth, it's, the, it's usually incremental dollars. It's the same dynamic as, as the beer set. You know, people will always get your everyday beer, you know, that $5.99 uh, six-pack. But in addition, they are going to get, that same shopper is going to get that $17, $18 craft uh, artisanal IPA to re- reward themselves. Maybe they will not drink it every day, right? But they'll drink it, you know, if they have people over or to reward themselves after something nice. Same thing with hot sauce. You have your everyday hot sauce there, you know, retail at $199, $299, and that same shopper will reach out for that premium hot sauce, super premium hot sauce, to reward themselves when they're cooking really something really nice or when they have people over. And so it's incremental. They're not can it's not cannibalizing. It's they're still getting the the, the workhorse and they're getting the premium. So we're taking advantage of that for sure. It, it, it's one of those things that all right, we've proven that, so now we can play everywhere. With tortillas and tortilla chips, we need to be a little bit more strategic, and because it's it's definitely more attribute uh, driven, and also price points are a little bit uh, on the premium side as well. And so, with tortilla, but we do know, for example, that, that the refrigerated tortilla set is one of the fastest growing sets. And so, you know, we're we're playing, we're tweaking at, at the at the moment where okay, we know that we're working in in the natural specialty channel. Can we? Crossover to the conventional, even in the club channel. And with tortilla chips, 
that one is the the one that we really really don't we don't want to mess around in going into places where we're just gonna sit there, right? That uh, that is very price sensitive, or people don't don't care about the the attributes or sustainability story. And so, so for, with that, we really need to be curated. We really need to start just building on that base. It's it's like when uh, sustainable protein flowers came about. I'm talking about the bugs or cricket flowers, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't go to Walmart right away. Like they 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 did they didn't go to the to, to Kroger or Albertsons. They, they needed to start in very specialized channels. I think, you know, even, even when they started, I think it, they were, they, they developed really well where in, in gift shops and, and amusement parks. And then from there, they started evolving into other uh, retail channels and stores. So, so long-winded answer, we're very channel-focused, channel, channel, focused, channel being a, a channel-specific for each, each of our line. And then the, the prioritization it's being dictated by by the demand. <laughs> so, hot sauce continues to be you know sixty percent of our business, but we see tortillas doing have, having a secretariat story. And September October, you know, we sold more tortillas and hot sauce in in, hmm. in the marketplace. So yeah, we 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 see a lot of potential on it. Yeah, and so we're in, yeah we're we're excited to continue increasing our distribution in the marketplace. One thing that we haven't discussed, and this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much, Hector. Absolutely. One thing we haven't discussed is sort of an elephant in the room, and I'm sure it follows you around anywhere you go, and that's Siete. <laughs> you know, I'm sure, or I would guess, that a lot of times when you're talking to industry folks about your brand, they mention that name. And they do some of the things that you guys do in terms of products, and they do a lot of it and they have massive backing in terms of investment and they've been on the market and they're, they're everywhere. In fact, I think, uh, you know, when we did our pre-interview call, I was sitting in my car and I saw someone walk out of a store and they were wearing a Siete t-shirt. When a competitor like that has such reach and has such a, such a head start, for lack of a better word, do you even try to compete with that? Or, or, you know, what is your answer to folks who say, well, you know, there's Siete, so why do I need a Tia Lupita? Absolutely. And by the way, I love Siete. We were very, very sim. You know, it's going to be a very, sim- very similar story, actually. They, they started with tortillas and then expanded mm-hmm. to hot sauces. I started with hot sauces, expanded to <laughs> tortillas. Uh, they're from Laredo, Texas. I'm from Monterey, which literally we're like, uh, an hour and 30 minutes away from each other. And so <laughs> the, the, the similarities are pretty cool. What they're doing is great. Like you said, they got the head start and they saw that white space and went for it, right? I, I might have seen that white space, but didn't do much about it then I, I, until I, until later. But again, it's, it's, it's one of those things that because they're paving the way, I'm super grateful that they're, they're doing that. The one way that I can differentiate myself very quickly from aside from them is that they're very focused on you know grain free and probably the uh, what they call the the, the whole 30 diet the whole uh, crossfit environment they they leaned into that very much and they they, they created a, a very very good base from that and also and you you will hear Miguel Garza say this is about they're a Mexican American 
uh, brand, uh, uh, you know, and focusing on that hyphen, right? And so now you see them expanding into cookies and uh, with flavors like birthday cake and stuff like that, which not necessarily are flavors uh, that you would find back in, in Mexico. So there's that, that uh, I guess, differentiator as, as well that we, for example, on our, in our chips, we don't do any nacho cheese flavor or uh, sour cream and onion or barbecue flavor chips. We want to stick with the flavors that you would find in the Mexican chip set back home, you know, which are, which are spicy and bold. That's kind of like a, like a way, in a very simplistic way to, to differentiate ourselves. And again, pushing sustainability and innovation, right? So, uh, uh, you know, it, it, un, under those guidelines, I think people will know the difference. What I, what I, this <laughs> is humorous, and I'm going to say, you know, Coca Cola was the first, but it's okay to be Pepsi. They're the first and they're doing great, tremendous backing. I'm okay being number two under under the growth uh, of, of Siete. You know, if, if the valuation, if their valuations continue uh, to evolve as, as we're hearing it is in the marketplace. Well, if you can become an iconic brand like Pepsi, I think you've done pretty well for yourself, Hector. (laughs) (laughs) And I think you're off to a great start. As I mentioned before, you know, we love your products in our office. Everyone I've ever talked to says they love Tia Lupita products. And that's kind of rare, I think. That's rare in our industry for so many people to consistently say that this is a great brand, not just a great brand, but they make really tasty and nutritious products. So congratulations on everything that you've accomplished to this point. I can't believe we've we've been talking for an hour. I feel like we could talk for another three or four oh, hours. Oh, absolutely. Since. I was like, yeah, it's, it's almost <laughs> happy hour go? for you over there. I think you can start cracking a beer. I'm still drinking my coffee over here. <laughs> well, let's crack a beer another time <laughs> and let's continue our conversation another time. But in the meantime, thank you so much for taking uh, a few uh, minutes out of your day to chat with me. Uh, it's been really informative, really fun. And I know our audience is going to love it. Thank you so much, Ray. It was an honor and a pleasure. And, uh, and, and thanks again for, for helping us, you know, elevate our, our, our story and our, our message uh, out there. Absolutely. Thanks so much again. Thanks. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to our guest, Hector Saldivar. As always, for questions, comments, ideas for future podcasts, please send us an email to askatasteradio.com. On behalf of the entire Taste Radio team, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Hey folks, it's Ray with Taste Radio. Right now, I'm honored to be sitting down with David Sandler, an industry consultant working with Kiwahako. David, great to see you. Hey, great to see you guys. David, you've been in this business, the beverage business, for over 20 years. You've been working on functional beverages for quite some time as well. And I'd love to hear from you about that term, because it's an often used term in our industry. But what is a functional beverage? As far as you know, its category, a lot of things fit in it. And mostly it has to do with sort of the overall way it can benefit the human body to some effect that you wouldn't normally derive regularly without some nutritional support. But more so, it seems to be used in the category of like mood, relaxation, or some other type of performance benefit that you might get, say, 
to improve athletic ability or fitness or health aspects. So we're seeing a lot now of products coming out that fit that mold where you're talking about more mood, relaxation, even hydration, and then having energy for performance or for health. There are a lot of benefits that can be described as functional, but within this umbrella of functional beverages, could you talk about the growth of the category and where it's going in 2024 and beyond? Well, it seems like the growth is uh, never ending. And it seems like single serve RTDs are still on the rise. Energy drinks are still plowing through. They seem to be continually increasing. Now what we're seeing, though, is an attempt to try to add some other additional benefits to energy drinks, including hydration and, you know, focus, mood, and just better overall feeling. And we're starting to see other health benefits being added to some of these drinks as well. Let's talk about one functional ingredient in particular, that's Cognizin, which is an ingredient that I have a lot of love and respect for. But talk about Cognizin and what makes it a leading nootropic. Well, one, you come with uh, years and years of experience from the makers, uh, Kiwahako. They just have such great processes and really stellar research and very solid scrutiny behind their ingredients that they do work with and promote. And so from there, you know you're going to get something that's that's really you know first class. We talk a lot about having better focus in today's workplace or today's environment where there's so many factors that are going on. This ingredient seems to really shine. Its data shows unparalleled performance. And uh, for myself as a user, and a formulator, it's finding its place in many of the drinks that I am working on where I'm trying to enhance focus, enhance mood, and improve cognition over uh, longer-term use. Is this an ingredient that's becoming more in demand among today's consumers, among modern consumers, and why? Well, I think one, we're, we're starting to see it more in products that are out there. So consumers are starting to understand a little bit more about it. But also what we're finding is, is that while lots of groups are out there promoting these ingredients that enhance mood or focus or concentration or cognition and so forth, many of them are wrapped around dosages that are not able to be achieved for, you know, many of the functional mushrooms, for example, require a much larger dose than people are using in the dosing. So they're not seeing the benefit that they would derive, whereas when you get a Cognizant-based product, one, there's the requirement to have a dose that matches their research, and thus you're actually getting that feeling. You're getting that function coming out of it, and that's why I think we're starting to see people switching to it and adding it to their products. I'm curious, are there any other natural ingredients that complement Cognizant in a beverage formulation? It can go in a number of different ways. You can put it into your standard pre-workouts to improve the overall function of a pre-workout where you've got your energy, maybe you've got your blood flow, you've got your pump that you're looking for, and then you complement it with a, you know, the focus factor, that concentration that helps you zero in and have a much better workout. But we're also seeing where I would complement it with things like some of those other functional so-called ingredients like mushrooms 
and a few other ingredients out there where it works so well. The wonderful thing about Cognizant is it works in every format, right? From capsules to powders to liquids. Its taste is just so easy to work with. It's incredibly soluble. It's just a very, very easy ingredient to work with. Easy to work with and easy to learn more about by going to Cognizant.com, C-O-G-N-I-Z-I-N.com. David, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thanks for all the information and I look forward to catching up again soon. It's an absolute pleasure. And again, thank you for having me.